You are experiencing HR After Dark, solving the people problems that keep you up at night. We exist to make the people part of business easier for leaders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and business owners of all kinds. Thank you for joining us for HR After Dark. So we have a very special guest today. We have Sheila Willis, and she is an attorney with Fisher Phillips. Now, the reason why we have a special guest is that I'm not sure if you've heard but the Supreme Court had a ruling um, that really changed the game. Um, and I really want Sheila to talk a little bit more about the update to federal law that we were notified about yesterday. So welcome, Sheila. Hi, everyone. Oh, man, we're so excited to have you back on our podcast. And um, I really want you to give us some insight. Like, what does this even mean for employers? So just to kind of back up a little bit, so yesterday the United States Supreme Court issued a long-awaited decision in a case called Bostock v. Clayton County. Um, It really was kind of an amalgamation of three different lawsuits that answered the question of whether Title VII of the Civil Rights Act applied to sexual orientation and gender identity. And so, um, as we know, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act is the federal law that applies to discrimination. It's anti-discrimination. We usually talk about protected classes in terms of race and gender, um, disability, all of those pieces. And um, there had been a question throughout the past years of whether sex, as defined in Title VII, actually covered uh, sexual orientation or gender identity, LGBTQ individuals and transgender individuals um, in particular. So this was something that was not formally decided by courts. However, employers may be thinking, well, I didn't think we could discriminate right. against this. I didn't think that this exactly. was a problem. What's the big deal? Interestingly, so the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, That's the federal agency that's charged with enforcing Title VII. The EEOC has said for a long time that they are going to enforce Title VII as if sex means sexual orientation and gender identity. So the prevailing wisdom for everyone has been, you know, you don't need to discriminate based on sexual orientation or gender identity because the EEOC is enforcing it that way. Mm -hmm. And they're the enforcement agency. Um, The United States Supreme Court, though, just kind of closed the door on any uncertainty that may still have remained in terms of what that looks like, whether or not that you can discriminate against someone based on their sexual orientation or their gender identity. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that our listeners know that Title VII applies to employers that have 15 or more employees. Um, and so, and even if you had in your head, well, I didn't think that I could discriminate. Um, discriminate means that not offer employment based off of, you know, sexual harassment, not offer promotion or transfer. Um, now just think about it like this. Even if it's not in regards to sexual orientation, one thing that Sheila even mentioned is, is gender identity, gender expression. So what about, let me give you the example. So what about you have an employee um, that actually is identifies, it was known as, as male, maybe on their, their driver's license, but identifies as female, um, and also has started wearing, um, dresses to work. So let me pose that question back to Sheila. 
Um, how does this recent federal law update, how does it change maybe the employer's response to, to that sort of uh, situation? Well, so the first thing I'll say is I hope it doesn't change your response and that I hope that employers have been doing the right and responsible thing. But it's very interesting that you use that example and maybe you did it on purpose. Um, one of the three cases that uh, was decided uh, yesterday involved an individual who uh, the individual's name was Amy Stevens, who was assigned a male sex at birth and raised as Anthony Stevens, um, presented as a man um, when uh, she began to work at a funeral home and then started to transition. Um, she informed her employers that she was going to have sex reassignment surgery and would be living as a woman. And then two weeks later, she was terminated. And so when you have situations of someone presents um, of a different gender, that is really, really a good opportunity for you to kind of have a seat to understand in terms of how that person wants to be recognized, what pronouns they would like to use. You're going to need to reevaluate. Do you need to have um, gender neutral restrooms? Um, if you are an employer that where, you know, maybe there are locker rooms or things like that, or if you have gendered uh, types of rescue types of things, like, for example, I've had a client once where they were very safety sensitive and worked with chemicals. And, you know, part of their old policy was if a woman gets doused with chemicals, well, anyone gets doused with chemicals, they immediately have to take off all their clothes and be hosed down. Well, they used to have a very gendered policy as to who was the response team. If it was a woman, then a woman came. If it was a man, then all the men came. So that was something that they really had to work through in terms of what their policies looked like to make sure that they are gender neutral. But to answer your general question, employers should really be treating employees equally. They should not be discriminating against anyone in the terms and conditions of their employment. And Jada kind of touched on what different terms of conditions of employment can be, but sometimes it's not just hiring and firing and hours. It can be other things like work assignments. It mm -hmm. can be overtime allocations. So you really want to make sure that you are treating everyone equally. That is the goal of Title Seven. Yeah, and I love that, Sheila. I, I think that if that was the case, I'm I'm worried about you having a career and <laughs> and then also myself having a career. But no, in all actuality, I, I wish that that was the world that we. We live in, but unfortunately, that's not necessarily the case. And and sometimes it's also due to maybe the employer or leaders really not not knowing, right? Not having any type of exposure. Because one thing that you even said in using your example is um, assigned a sex at birth. So that was, I think, very um, that was language that maybe that we're now not used to, right? So maybe with leaders and employers that that genuinely have um, the right intention, but really do need some help in just what to do next, right? So I guess what advice would you give to employers um, on what to do next? So one of the big things I think is, is training is key. Training is fundamental. So you need to assess your organization to determine what type of training you need. If you're in a situation where your leaders really, these are foreign concepts to them, that they don't understand the terminology, that they don't understand what's really out there, then maybe that's the first baseline of your training. It's more of an educational piece. Um, if your workforce is such that y'all get it, but you need to figure out how to put that in practice, 
then that's what your training looks like. That's when it's time to bring in, you know, your HR professionals, your leadership coaches, that sort of thing to really get um, the type of training in place so that you can become familiar and conversant with that information. The other thing that you want to do is reevaluate the policies that you have. A lot of times people aren't aware of the subconscious gendering that comes in policies. One of the first places we see this when I'm reviewing handbooks and employee policies is in the dress code. Employers have identified certain types of dress code standards for males and for women. So you mm -hmm. might see things that say your mustache may not be, for males, your mustache may not be as like longer than an inch or whatever mm -hmm. it is. If you wanted to convert that to something gender neutral, you would say something like facial hair. That way it's not applying to a particular gender. Um, I also see a lot of times in sexual harassment policies where people will always refer to the woman as the victim. Um, she should report to HR. She should um, report to her supervisor. Um, looking through that policy and making sure it's gender neutral, the person who is impacted. Um, if this happens to you, so those types of things, really evaluating your policies and then seeing if there are other areas of your workforce or your work environment that have gender aspects to them that may be subconscious or conscious to see if you can do away with them. So maybe you have work centers that are predominantly female or predominantly male. Is there a way that you can recruit so that that's not just the girl job and that's just not the male job. Um, there's lots of different things that you can do. But overall, I think if you start with an opinion and thought and belief of treating everyone equally, you're not going to run afoul of Title VII. I really appreciate that. And you brought up so many good points that I just I want to unpack a couple of them. But I want to focus on the fact that you may have already had um, diversity training on an annual basis. I think that this really like, for instance, our HR administrator was scheduled for a webinar today, a diversity webinar, and it was rescheduled because they want to update the curriculum, the scenarios, the verbiage. And it was quite timely. But at this point, I think that we also need to focus on how are we training our leaders, right, to have certain um, courageous and appropriate workplace conversations. And and what training are we offering? And is it relevant? Is it up to date? And so one thing even at, you know, Willis HR that we offer is that we will be providing you know, diversity, inclusion, and belonging training to all of our clients, and especially those that sign up for our online monthly uh, subscription. And I think it's because I'm so passionate about the fact that we want to give you the tools to just have the right conversations and, and using the right verbiage, but knowing also how to um, hopefully just evolve your workplace. And one thing that I want to expand upon is, are you updating even a diversity inclusion initiative that you have within your organization? Do you have that and have you shared that with your employee base? But have you also updated your EEO statements? This is your equal employment um, opportunity statement. It's in your employee handbook. It's usually also at the end of your job openings. And have you updated it? Have you updated your employees? So I'm kind of just, you know, building off of what, what Sheila has mentioned and these are things that we experience firsthand, either from an HR standpoint or even from an employment law standpoint. But um, I want to I want to ask you this, Sheila, is 
How quickly should we be making these types of changes, though? I mean, I think that they need to be made pretty, pretty, uh, pretty soon, like instantaneous, right? We want to make sure that we are providing our employees with um, all the tools that they can to be successful. We also want to make sure that we're complying with laws um, as they become effect. And the Supreme Court opinion is the law of the land right now. That is what it is. And so, you know, to the extent that you don't have a policy in place, you want to go ahead and get a policy in place. Now, I would venture to guess that a vast majority of your listeners have a pol- an EEO mm-hmm. policy that says sex in it. We don't discriminate based on sex. Right. Do you need to expand that so that it's clear? Do you need to say, you know, gender, gender identity, gender expression, mm-hmm. uh, sexual orientation? Or do you just need to train around that to make sure that people understand that that's what sex means? And and I do, thank you for saying that, because we do have clients that actually go uh, forward and start talking about sexual orientation, um, I, gender identity, gender expression, gender presentation. Um, there is a difference, right? And so if you want to be an organization that is inclusive and wants to create this this level of belonging for all people and focus on true diversity, um, then I would urge you to then re-examine your EEO statement, but not, not just leave it as a, a policy, right? But putting together initiatives and strategies that can um, really take actual steps and it being not just something that you sign off on on an annual basis or when a new hire starts. Right, making this a part of your strategic plan, making it a part of um, just ongoing engagement strategies with your team. Um, obviously, like you said, partnering with HR is, is crucial. And um, what about for organizations though that probably have maybe they have thirteen employees, right? So what what do you advise to those employers that really are on the cusp? So I always say, and it goes uh, with. Um, a lot of things in life, but dress for the job you want, right? So if you're an employer and you are on the cusp and you plan on growing, then you just need to start acting like you're there already, right? Because you don't want to wait until you have your 15th employee and then you're like, oh goodness, what do I need to do now, right? If you're going to grow to that size, then go ahead and start acting like you're that size. If you don't plan to grow that size, that's fine. I will say it is just a good idea to have a plan in place and to ensure that you are not discriminating and that your employees know that you're not discriminating and that that's something that's very important to you. Those are kind of key things. So again, if you're on the cusp and you're thinking, ah, maybe this doesn't apply to me. If you want to be uh, a 15 or more employee business, then you got to start acting like a 15 (laughs) or more employee business. I like that. All right. I'll take it. Dress for the job that you want. I, I appreciate that advice. Um, and I really appreciate you being here and being our guest. I, I recommend that you listen to this podcast, not just one time, but multiple times and take notes. I know that we talk fast. I know that we give so much information. Um, and you know what? And even though she lived bills by the hour, and actually, I think that's every six minutes. So uh, we've been able to to give you some really solid um, you know, substance that you can take away and implement Um, today. Now, I know you still have questions. I know you may need some guidance. You may have scenarios that 
are impacting your organization, well, I recommend that you, you reach out to us. You reach out to uh, Willis HR. You can feel free to email us at info at willishr.com and uh, go to our website, willishr.com. We also have a really um, cool thing that we're offering right now. And that means that if you subscribe um, to our online essential store, such as, you know, 99 bucks a month, we're actually including diversity um, and inclusion training. So it's a live training for leadership. And again, it's just because we're so passionate about making sure that leaders have the information that they need. And also, if you need, you really need some um, advice as an employer, then I encourage you to reach out to Sheila Willis um, at uh, Fisher Phillips. She's an employment and labor attorney. And uh, dare I say, one of the best ones I know. So I really appreciate you being here and um, appreciate our listeners as well. Thanks so much. Please get some sleep tonight.